Thunderstruck uh, by ACDC? Wow, you know all the good songs. Oh my gosh, you? that sounded great. Oh, nice. Thanks. Well, I'm working on it. It's, it's only taken me the whole week to try to figure that out. So <laughs> all is good. Well, thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, it's so good to shocking see you. To see you here I know. I just library. keep running into you, yeah. playing a guitar yeah, okay. on campus. <laughs> we got to schedule these more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought we'd, uh, you know, while I was uh, playing that song, listening to that song, I thought of the people in the Civil War and how they might be thunderstruck themselves by the war, and specifically one battle that I think changed everything. Wow, I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Surprisingly. Glad to, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Well, you want to hear a little bit more? Absolutely. Well, at first, we got to maybe talk about the uh, the foundation or the historical context of the war itself. There's many causes of the war, but the main cause, that the overarching cause, is slavery. Uh, the war itself started on April 12, 1861 in Fort Sumner, which is in Charleston, South Carolina. The war would last over four years and would cost over 600,000 American lives. Man. Yeah, that, that number is really important because that is more than the American Revolution, the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, the Spanish-American War, World War One, World War Two, and even Korea combined. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my God. Only when we get to Vietnam does that number get too, too oh small. Oh, my gosh. A staggering 3% of the population at the time, believe it or not. Uh, most Americans would be affected by the war in some way, yeah. even if they didn't have loved ones that had passed away in it. Wow. There are a lot of key players in this, but we're going to try to focus on three of them with th two side actors. Abraham Lincoln, General George McClellan, who is the general in the Union Army, and General Robert E. Lee, who is the Confederate general. Okay. The other two people that we'll talk about briefly at the end is Robert Shaw and a lady named Clara Barton. Okay. No, we were playing trivia uh, the other night at the we played pub trivia, and it came up. Arlington National Cemetery was what general used to be what general's home. Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it was right across the Potomac, and they did that to to because of his decision to fight for Virginia instead of fighting for the Union. He was. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln actually offered him uh, a generalship in the Union Army, but uh, Robert Lee decided to uh, turn it down based on the fact that he was felt like he was more loyal to the state of yeah. Virginia, which yeah. is a little bit odd today. We don't think of ourselves as Illinoisans or something like yeah. that, but they did at that time. Interesting. So, anyway. Yeah. So uh, let's take a look, uh, take a, a brief look at the war before September 17th, 1862 which is the uh, where we'll really uh, take uh, we'll really launch from. Uh, the Union had expected to win this war easily in April 1861 after Fort Sumner. However, the Union had lost the battle, numerous battles to the Confederates, including Bull Run 1 and Bull Run 2 and the Seven Days Campaign. With that, that really developed a sense of confidence that the Confederates could win this war. Even they didn't expect that. Well. Only in the Western theater was the war going well by 1862. Here, General Grant had defeated the Confederates at Fort Donelson in a place called Shiloh in Tennessee. Besides unexpected military defeats, and largely because of them, the South was leveraging their greatest strength, which was cotton, the production of cotton. 
European countries were buying enormous amounts of cotton before the war. In fact, by 1861, 58% of all exports uh, in the whole country, in the whole United States, were done in one crop, cotton. Man. In dollars, cotton represented about $200 million in revenue for the South. That's in their day. Oh, holy. Yeah, right. Moses. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot, a lot. It's a, it's a big chunk of change. Yeah. In short, the South had uh, Europe hooked on cotton. Hmm. To keep this cotton addiction going, the South cut production by 90% even burning 2.5 million bales oh, of cotton. Oh, so they were cutting the supply to increase its value? Uh, absolutely. Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah, so some people think that the South didn't understand capitalism because they were slave labor, but they knew the theory of supply and demand, that's for yeah. sure. Man. If the news couldn't get any worse by 1862, it did. Uh, the news got worse when General uh, Johnston, a Confederate general, had been wounded at the Battles of Seven Pines, which led to a new general taking his place, the audacious, risk-taking Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Lee continues to be ranked one of the greatest military leaders in all of world history, not just yeah. United States history. Yeah. And we'll see quite a bit of him in this battle. Uh, so before the battle, we also have to understand what's going on with President Lincoln. Lincoln met with his cabinet on the 22nd of July of that year. In this meeting, Lincoln told his cabinet he had decided to change the goal of the war from reunification to about emancipation of slaves. So okay. reunification to liberty. This bold step went against everything Lincoln had promised just 18 months earlier. Moreover, uh, earlier in his presidency, Lincoln had argued for paying slave owners $400 for each slave which would then be shipped back to Africa. So you get an idea of his mindset and how yeah. much he's changed and grown in all of this. Yeah. Therefore, these comments during this meeting show how much Lincoln had changed. Uh, maybe this is why historians rank Lincoln as our best president. Why did he do it? It's in, it isn't entirely clear why he was going doing so for moral reasons. Maybe there was political reasons. Maybe there was economic reasons. Maybe all of these could be claimed. However, by that time, July 22nd, 1862, he knew that the cost of the war was already too great for going back to how things had been before the war, slavery. That ship had sailed and Lincoln knew it. Moreover, Lincoln also knew that European powers, especially the Prime Minister of Great Britain, was talking about negotiating a settlement between the North and the South. If this happened, the war would be lost. With that knowledge in our back pockets, let's look at the battle between battle at what might be the most important uh, uh, battle in the Civil War and possibly in all of American history. Man. Makes sense so far? Yeah. You're still with me. Good. Yeah. You're not sleeping yet, right? No, it's yeah. very, it's, man, to, like where the country was at at that time. Spending yeah. so much money, people are dying, Lincoln can't turn back because, he, you know, he understands the importance of what he's doing, but his country is torn apart. Oof, I think it is time for a turning point. Yeah, let's jump right into it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Antietam is the location that we're going to go to. Uh, Antietam's is also called Sharpsburg by the uh, south because that's the town. The river would be, uh, the river is Antietam. So okay. different names and different locations even today. The Battle of Antietam took place for six reasons. There's a, that's a lot of information here. So just 
grab onto a couple of these, okay? okay. Lee really saw that he was winning the, uh, the war so far, and he believed that he could end it early. So he took actions to kind of teach the uh, Union Army a couple lessons there. Hmm. So he had his confidence up. He also needed food supplies, and he knew that going into Maryland and Pennsylvania could provide his troops uh, really needed food supplies. He also wanted to disrupt the railroad transportation uh, to Washington, D.C., so he could cut some lines there as well. He wanted to influence the election that were taking places within the Union. Uh, if he did that, he might be able to get in more pro-slavery people and end it politically. Hmm. Uh, since Maryland was a border state, which means that they were also a slave state, he also thought that he might be seen as a welcome liberator in all of this. Hmm. And finally, he wanted to impress the Europeans so they would recognize the South exactly what Lincoln was worried about, right? Yeah. So there was an econo economic component of all of this. So on September 4th, 1862, Lee crossed the Potomac River, which was the border between the North and the South, or going into Maryland in this case. He had about 55,000 soldiers. Huh. Two days later, his men sang a song called Maryland, My Maryland, while they were entering the town of Frederick, Maryland. Hmm. Uh, he thought that he would be welcomed again as a liberator, and he made a proclamation to the town. He said, to aid, these are quotes, to, or a quote, to aid you in throwing off this foreign yoke, meaning the Union, to enable you again to enjoy the inalienable rights of free men. It's a little bit odd that he's saying this um, to people when slavery is still going on, but you have to remember that Maryland was still a slave right. state. So he was talking to the rights of like the slave owners to and, say that like this is your right to run your property or whatever as you see fit. So he was all swaggering in there with his 55,000 troops and they're singing and yeah. they're like, you're welcome. We're here. We're here as liberators. <laughs> we've, we've come to help you out. Uh, that didn't happen uh, the way he expected it. Uh, many people were uh, weary of what was happening and they yeah. weren't quite sure which side to take. Uh, the interesting thing that happened here um, Shortly after this, as James McPherson, a very uh, well-known historian on the Civil War, said in his book, Battle Cry of Freedom, the army, the Union army, hit the military jackpot. Two officers, Union officers, found Robert E. Lee's battle plans wrapped in three cigars on September 13th. What? Yes. Oh, my God. So he's swaggering in. He's got his victory cigars, but the battle plans are wrapped in the cigars. And, and then the opposing army finds them. Right. You oh, can no! This. Yes. It was not his cigars, we don't believe, but he had given out his plans to somebody, and they were very careless in oh, uh, not taking care of these plans. When Lincoln discovered that Lee was invading the North, he had told his commanding officer, General McClellan, to destroy the rebel army if possible. What happened next was classic McClellan. He waited 18 <laughs> hours to put his plan into place. Some historians speculate he did so because he thought the plans were a trap. So he believed that maybe, you know, who's going to leave their plans in a scar like that? And right. he just happened to find them. Okay? Oh. So he wanted to get a little bit more information. But McClellan was always extremely cautious as a as general. He was a great military uh, training person, but he wasn't very good in actually executing or using his army the way Lincoln and most military people would do. 
Either way, the delay turned out to be a critical mistake by him. Dang. It may also be uh, interesting to note that McClellan really failed to respect President Lincoln at all. In letters that McClellan had written to his wife, he'd often refer to Lincoln as Mr. Gorilla. <laughs> yeah, he was not oh, a fan no. of Abraham Lincoln. And in oh, fact, McClellan no. would run against him for president in the next election. So oh, gives oh you a little there bit of you go. With Lee's battle plans in hand, McClellan knew that Lee had split his army in two, and more importantly than this, these two units were separated by about 20 miles, 25 miles. So not only did he have the, the battle plans, but he knew that this was the time to strike. I'm picturing them unrolling, like they're trying to keep yeah. them unrolled from the cigar boxes, right. seeing all these critical information. I wonder what they did with the cigars afterwards. I know. Oh, so my gosh. It's so crazy. Who got those? I don't know. We'll have to do more research on that. <laughs> So the Battle uh, of Bantidum is really three battles. When I discuss these battles, I will use the Union positions that describe where they're at. So, for example, the Union right flank will also be the Confederate left flank. Okay, mm -hmm. so, But I'm going to focus on the Unions okay. here. So on September 15th, the Confederate Army numbered around 25 to 30,000 in the town of Sharpsburg. Uh, the Union had about 60,000, so at least double them, and they were stationed next to a creek called Antietam. Again, that's why you get the two yeah. different names. The Battle of Antietam was one of the few times that both sides chose the location, in some ways, and the tactics. So Robert E. Lee, although he did, uh, his plans were known by McClellan, they both knew of each other being in the area, and Lee felt like this could be a knockout punch. Okay. Okay. So on September 7th, 17th, at 6 a.m., the first battle would start. This would be uh, known as the West Woods or the Cornfield. The general, Fighting Joe Hooker, who was a Union general, attacked on the right flank. In front of Hooker's men was a cornfield, and behind the cornfield was a white church known as Dunkard Church. Interestingly enough, the people who operated the church were actually pacifists. Oh, no. Yeah, so what are the odds? <laughs> Don't mind that war going on outside. We'll just... Exactly. Oh, so, man. Uh, Fifteen times did the Union and Confederates' forces attack each oh, other, hurling gosh. back each other time and time again. The Union 20th Massachusetts lost 224 out of 340, oh. uh, 334 soldiers. An amazing casualty list. By 10 a.m., there was approximately 8,000 casualties, and casualties are wounded or dead in all of this. Man. Battle number two happened in the center at what's called the Sunken Road, or what became called, after the battle, Bloody Lanes, for obvious reasons. Yeah. One Union soldier described the action when he said Confederates had gone down as the grass falls before the sickle. Ugh. Just as the bloody name was taking a turn for the Union, General McClellan shifted Union at the Union attack to the left flank. So not only does he delay, but at times he seems like he's almost helping out the Confederate Army by moving his men to different positions. So the last battle, or the third battle at Antietam, took place on the Union left flank. Here the Union had a major advantage in men. At about 12,500 men, while well, the Confederates only had 400. But the train was a lot more difficult here. The Union had to cross a bridge, known afterwards as Burnside's Bridge, to launch an attack on the Confederates. For three hours, the Confederates, being 
commanded by General Tomes, poured volley after volley into the Union forces, oh. giving enough time for reinforcements to engage in the battle. When this happened, General Burnside requested additional forces, but McClellan, being McClellan, rejected his request. He thought that Lee had more men in reserves, um, and he always felt like that he was kind of outnumbered in all of this. Yeah. Although Lee struck, stuck, struck around, stuck around for another day, McClellan decided not to pursue him. Although this was a miss, missed opportunity, one that got McClellan fired by Abraham Lincoln, the battle Oof. had long-term consequences that possibly were more important than what happened on the battlefield, who uh -huh. won or who lost. What are some of those consequences, you might be asking yourself? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of key players that come out of this war that are, we might call them side actors, but are going to be important later on. Well, one of them is Clara Barton. And Clara Barton would go down as being the founder of the Red Cross and becoming a nurse for the Union Army. This is a new occupation for women as well. Wow. It's weird to think of that now. Like that was new, something new for wow. And we still have the Red Cross today that yeah. goes all over the country trying to help yeah. people out. Uh, Robert Shaw would be the other one. And most people might not know who Robert Shaw is, but he was only uh, 24 when he decided to get into this military campaign or fight in the Civil War. And he would become most famous because he commanded the 54th Massachusetts, an all-African-American regiment that participated in the famous storming of Fort Wagner that was made into a film later on, Glory. Probably the best oh, yeah. film. Just that of little all film. Yeah. Just, just glory. Exactly. He does <laughs> die at uh, Fort Wagner as well, becomes the hero. Uh, the other person that's critically important to this is a photojournalist named Matthew Brady. Brady goes out afterwards and takes pictures <laughs> of all the dead of of uh, the Battle of Antietam, and he puts on a show of basically a uh, photography show in New York City which he calls the dead of Antietam. And for the first time, people actually yeah. see what it's like because most of these people are neck, not close to these battles. So they're seeing exactly the carnage that's on the field. Wow. Uh, even after 150 years later, after this war, the images are still shocking of all the dead. It's amazing. I mean, you think of, you know, our country has so much zeal and energy and strength that it puts into, you know, a lot of the things that we do, it's really hard to think of our country tearing itself apart in war. You right. know, our country on both sides. You know, we're both, I'm not surprised, you know, they're both just going at it. And, oh, man, the pictures that he must have brought back, just crazy. Yeah, if you get a chance, it's definitely worth looking at, although they're pretty gruesome as well. But yeah. it tells you a story of how deadly this battle was instead oh. of just numbers and yeah. all of this. Well, there's even bigger significance. So those people are important to the story, and they're also important to the future of the country. But the real significance here is that the, the battle was a turning point, and that was Lincoln's uh, declaration that this was a victory for the Union Army, even though it was more of a draw. And with that, on September 22nd, 1862, he announced the Emancipation Proclamation that he talked to um, his cabinet about. Yeah. It is difficult to overestimate the importance of this proclamation. It changed the war goal from being reunification to about freedom, which affected over 4 million enslaved Africans. And that's what he'd been talking about with his cabinet in those earlier meetings. And now it was 
like procl- you know, now there was the actual proclamation. Yeah. He, that that change changed the whole tone of the war, what it would be about, again, about freedom for people, and then going back and say, linking it to the Declaration of Independence yeah. and the Constitution yeah. and saying we were about something yeah. bigger and better than that, yeah. meaning slavery. Uh, Frederick Douglass, a known um, African-American that escaped slavery, uh, said about the Emancipation Proclamation, we shout for joy that we live to record this righteous decree. So he was a big supporter of Lincoln's move in all of this. Uh, it, it should be known that the Emancipation Proclamation failed to free any slaves, which seems pretty odd, because it only applied to states that were in rebellion against the Union, which, of course, the Union didn't control. <laughs> However, it goes Uh, back to changing the tone, and it did one other thing, which was that Europe had already participated in getting rid of slavery or being part of the slave trade, could no longer get in the war. So this was a check Um, on them to stop them from getting in the war and recognizing And that was a big thing that the South had relied on, was the income and the support of their cotton-buying European... Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It was really, really important because they, they were relying on that politically. I'd say and the rug was pulled under them, but it's just more like the cotton. Yeah. Shirt. Good job. You should go on like a. You should go on a nightclub, that, right? We could come up with jo- history jokes. History as well. jokes. That would be great. <laughs> so, um, of this, for those African Americans who were freed or escaped slavery, many of them fought in this war as well. So we shouldn't underestimate that. Some 200,000 did so, about 10% of the Union Army. So not only changing, using emancipation, not only knocked out Europe, but it brought in another group of people that would fight for freedom, and that was African-Americans. Absolutely. 32 of those actually won the highest medal that you can win in our military, which is the Medal of Honor. 37,000 gave the... Ultimate sacrifice, dying in the war as well. If uh, life is uh, uh, about people, Antietam still holds a dubious record as well. It is the deadliest day in all of American history. 6,000 dead, two times the number killed in the entire War of 1812. Four times that that were killed on the beaches of Normandy and D-Day. Another president... FDR said, a day that will live in infamy. He may have been saying this about a different attack on America in 18, or 1941, but Antietam could be also be uh, connected to that um, quote as well. So wow. hopefully you know a little bit more about the turning point in the Civil War, which is Antietam and might be a turning point in all of American history. It was it was amazing to hear about it. The Like, I just think the zeal with which both sides, you know, and Lincoln fighting for a very important cause and the country just beating the heck out of each other. You know, the, oh, that's, um, man. And two, you want to hear two other things that came out of the war that are just fun factoids? I would. Okay. So we talked about two people that were minor, very minor actors in all of this. One of them was Fighting Joe Hooker. And I remember. So, yes. You're talking yeah. about that. So Hooker, actually, the term hookers, meaning prostitutes, comes out of his name, believe it or not. No way. Yeah. His <laughs> men and him 
partook in that uh, service, I yeah. guess you'd call it. So somewhere along the line, they start calling these prostitutes oh, as a slang no. hookers. So that's oh, one. No. Yeah. I guess he wasn't very discreet about it if you became. <laughs> I guess not. Oh, I mean, no. and his men weren't either. So uh, the second one was a guy named Burnside. And Burnside, if you see a picture, go look him up on uh, the internet, you'll notice that he had these very long sideburns. And so they turned his name around from Burnside to sideburns, and that's what they started calling people's no facial No way! Hair. Yeah, so the Civil War is good for a lot of different things. <laughs> oh my things. gosh! So, terms there as was well. a lot going on at that time. There sure a was. A lot! Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing about this. It is really... Um, I feel like I kind of went back to that time and saw and heard about what was happening. And I just, wow, our country really has overcome quite a bit. Yeah, well, it sure has. So I'm thunderstruck. Good. Well, I got to go back and practice again. So I appreciate <laughs> you coming in and we'll, we'll uh, do another podcast uh, soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Take care, Robert. You too, Melissa.